Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching Podcast, where we grow in discipleship, we grow in relationships, and we grow in Jesus Christ. In this sermon series, Themes in Exodus, we see how patterns of redemption in the Bible point forward to the redemption we have in Jesus Christ. And so we hope you enjoy and that you subscribe so that you don't miss a single sermon. And 12. And so if you would, join with me. I'll, I'll be reading the first three verses of chapter 11, and then we'll be skipping over to chapter 12, beginning in verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards he will let you go hence, and when he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor, and every woman of her neighbor, jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Now in chapter 12, verse 21. When Moses called, then Moses called for all the elders of Israel, and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families, and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lentil and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lentil and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your house to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it will come to pass when ye become to, when ye come to the land which the Lord will give you according as he hath promised that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service? that ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did the Lord as commanded Moses, did as the Lord had commanded Moses, and Aaron so did they. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land and of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you on this day, looking, looking in the words of Exodus, Lord, in this history, 
and seeing the way that it points to you and ultimately the redemption that's provided in the work, not just the death, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that, that you be with us. Lord, as, that you would bless the faithfulness of those that are here. Lord, that we can uh, reflect and rejoice in the baptism that we had this morning. That we can study in your word. Lord, that you would meet us where we are and bless us with your very presence as we are here to worship a risen Lord. Father, I pray that you be with me in, in, in preaching through this word. Lord, that you forgive anything amiss in us. Lord, that this gathering and this service would glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this morning you've got a bulletin. Hopefully you're able to follow along a little bit with, uh, with the sermon. And first, as each week, I think it's, it's important for us to consider the context in which they're experiencing this Passover. Picture, picture the Egyptians and the darkness that they had already experienced. Last week we talked about the plagues, and we just sort of went through them rather rather fast. And, and this morning we're talking about really the last plague in which the Passover takes place. But they had already experienced economic downturn. They had their... Food supplies destroyed, all the harvest broken down by locusts and, and every other thing. They'd already experienced sickness in the boils and death of their livestock. This is the season in which they are. I can only imagine some of the Egyptians thinking, when will this end? Whatever battle is going on between the Pharaoh or our gods and the God of the Hebrews, when will this come to its end? This season was both of the plague of this death of the firstborn and a season of redemption for the Israelites. Really all of this, as even the Hebrews look upon the Egyptians and they see just this destruction in every way. Last week we talked about all the gods of Egypt being torn down by the plagues. This also showcases the simple vanity that took place whenever later in the narrative, if we were to read about Israel saying, let us just return to Egypt so we don't die in the wilderness. There was nothing to return to. Just how vain of an exclamation that would be knowing that there were no crops, there was no food source, there was no vitality in their religion, there was nothing left to praise in Egypt whenever God would redeem them from it. This was a dark season and state that they would leave them. Egypt would never be the same. God seems to, seems to show a theme of this, this sort of dark season almost every time that, that He acts in, 
in bold redemption. We could look through so many examples uh, through Israel themselves. In their low times was what was met with the high times and the redemption of God. We could look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who had to walk through the flames of the furnace before they were pulled out. Maybe think of Daniel who had to be cast into a lion's den before he was drawn out. Any of these examples. Maybe above all of these we can look to the example of Jesus Christ Himself who endured the darkest times, the the most lonely times in the greatest physical pain. But really, it wasn't in His death on the cross that, that death was defeated. It was at the resurrection. And still yet, upon waiting three days, the apostles would wait in hiding and in confusion, in perhaps uh, listlessness and in fear with neither the person of Jesus Christ nor His Spirit. A dark season would be the season they were in, the context in which they were in whenever they received the risen Lord. And brothers and sisters, I think that we can reflect on this in our own time. We might look to economic downturn even confusion or anxiety in our personal circumstance, considering the coronavirus, maybe a bit of spiritual anxiety in our own lives. And even if we go beyond such a temporary thing, we've got to realize that as Christians, we are in some capacity in a dark Season as we day in and day out grow more acquainted with the growing sinfulness and brokenness of this world, as we await the final redemption that Christ will bring at His coming again, we must realize there is a darkness in this world and we wait for the full redemption that comes in Christ alone. This is the season the season in which the Lord would tell Moses, I've got but one more. There's yet more darkness to come as we look to Him. The part that we skipped in our passage, if we were to read that bit in the rest of 11 and, and the beginning of chapter 12, what we would have read was a very strict and explicit uh explanation in the way God would prescribe for His people to do two things. To, to gather a meal of Passover that He would put before the people. He would ask them to celebrate this, to eat this Passover bread all the week long, to not eat any leavened bread all week, every single year in remembrance of this event. This event 
in this time of redemption is so important that before it ever even occurs and before God even gets to the danger of what would happen in the houses of the Egyptians, he says, listen, this is very important and I want you to remember it. You're going to repeat it day in and day out for generations to come. The Passover. It's repeated annually. It's important enough that it's not just a one-time deal or gathering. It is a week long celebration in the generations to come. It would even serve the Jews later to prepare them for the atonement that all looks forward to Christ. As a matter of fact, this Passover is so important that Jesus Himself would be in the midst of this celebration looking to His own death on the cross. Not was it important enough for Him to celebrate year in and year out. But in Luke, you could read about how He yearned to celebrate Passover with His apostles. Christ, knowing the dark season that He was in, knowing the death that He would have to endure, the punishment that he would take on our behalf. He said, I've prepared a place. He even sent the apostles, go ahead, find the man with the jar. He's got a place prepared for you so that we can celebrate this together. This is what we now look to as the last supper. It's also what we look to as the institution of the Lord's Supper in which Christ looks at these very same elements of the bread and of the blood. This is an important feast. This is an important time. It's an important event. And it should be no less important to us today, even as Christians. But we've got to ask, what's the significance why does God bring about such death and destruction? Why does He call upon us even before this takes place to experience blood in the household? Because we wouldn't just simply have to kill the first fruits of our flock to prepare for this, but we would, we would take this and be marked with it. Our households would be marked with the blood of the Lamb in preparation so that we would be passed over from this destruction. I think the answer comes in the way that Christ fully reveals in showing that importance of the Passover. We see that the bread and the blood both point to Christ Himself. You see, Christ says they've been celebrating all of this Passover for generations. The unleavened bread. It was not a new thing whenever he took the bread and held it up and said, this is my body, and he went to break it. This was something in which Christ was explaining. You are looking back to the experience of the Egyptians. You're looking back to a dark time, a time of preparation. And you're going to eat this bread in your household. There's not going to be any leaven. There's no time for that. This bread is my body. I am that bread. 
He even points to the cup and says, I'm the blood. This is the cup of my blood. So closely acquainted with the very same celebration in which blood was marked over the household, over the doorposts. Something that the entire family would take part in. Even the children would remember this. He even points explicitly in the word that we just read. When your children ask you why, why are you killing the youngest of the flock? And why are you preparing it in such a way? And why is it that the blood is so important that we have to be marked with blood of a sacrifice? Christ says, this is my blood. I am the bread and I am the blood. We could read on and see that this isn't just, it's just not a historical book. We see this theme and these principles at work even as they go out into the wilderness and he gives the manna from heaven and later he interprets that. He says, listen, I am the bread. The bread from heaven is that which the Father gives and brings life. Christ is the bread. Christ is the blood. He is the unleavened bread. He is the lamb slain on our behalf. He is the firstborn who was not spared. God says in His Word that if He would not spare His own Son, what would come of those who did not believe? All of this points to Jesus Christ. Understand, this is huge. In, in the Passover, we see the work of Jesus Christ. We see the cross. We see how it points to the resurrection. All of this ought to characterize us and in a sense all of us, even today, are marked by the bread and marked by the blood of Jesus Christ. But now there's a bit of a character. We see two themes, nevertheless, two principles that are at work in this event of Passover that seem to be repeated in the gospel and they should be perfectly consistent with our lives today. That are the two things of death and haste. When we look at the way God was very specific in telling them here is how you should observe this feast. Here is how you should look at the coming events. He didn't say go and do however you want. He was very specific in saying there is a purpose for everything that I'm doing here. As you repeat this, every year there's a purpose. One is urgency. The bread was unleavened for one because there was no time to let the yeast rise. He made this clear if we were to look back in chapter uh, 11, verse 12. If I have this right. Well, I'm sorry. 12, 11. Here's how hastily that it, they were to prepare and to eat it. He says, And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand. You shall eat in haste. It's the Lord's 
Passover. There's a principle at work here, which is haste, a sense of urgency in eating and of leaving their oppression. For them, it was leaving out of Egypt. They knew, hey, we're going to be forced out. Not only are we going to be allowed to leave, but we're going to be forced out with a heavy hand. This is the same urgency. This is what they were celebrating. This is the context of the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, and in fact, the context of the full work and atonement that comes through Jesus Christ. I think it can be said there's an urgency in the gospel. Whenever John would come to prepare the way, he preached with urgency. The time is at hand. The kingdom has come. Jesus did himself preach with urgency, repent and believe. The times now, I think the same is for the apostles. The same is for us. We don't know. We don't know how much time that we have. There's no time to be wasted. There's a sense of urgency in believing, in repenting, in being obedient, whether it's obedience in baptism or obedience in our daily walk. There's a sense of urgency, but there's also a principle of death. Redemption involves death. They were not redeemed out of Egypt apart from the slaughter of the lamb. They weren't redeemed out of Egypt apart from the heavy hand that would cause death in both the livestock and in the harvest and even the firstborn of all of Egypt. We certainly can't think or believe in a Christianity that's apart from sacrifice. We too need a sacrifice. It's just that it's been done on our behalf in Jesus Christ. It involves death. Obviously, we look to the death of Jesus on the cross who died in our place, was substituted on our behalf. But more than this, listen, all of the apostles... Tradition holds that every single one but one died the death of a martyr. Peter on a cross upside down, some of them stoned or, 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 or thrown off a temple. We read of the sons of Zebedee in Matthew whose mother was so bold to say, Lord, that you would allow my sons to sit on your left hand and on your right. And he said, that's only for the Father to decide, but He said they will drink the cup that I drink. All of them would die the death of Christ. They would take up their cross and follow Him. That's something He would prescribe for each of us was a death to self, a death in the flesh so that we could experience new life. In Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, what we got to witness this morning, those waters of baptism do in fact, I encourage you to read that, that insert in your bulletin. That is the waters of burial, of us being burial and immersed. The word literally means immersed 
They're buried in these waters because all of that sin, all of the consequences of the flesh are dead in Christ. And you see, that is the wonderful truth that that we're celebrating and so many are pointing to, uh, especially today, what's been called Easter Sunday. It makes me proud to say it's what we celebrate here at New Life every Sunday. This is something that the church is named after. And that we celebrate new life. What that means is the resurrection. We celebrate a life that's not our own. It doesn't come in hope in the flesh. It doesn't come in freedom uh, in this life. For we know the life to come is free of disease, of, of political turmoil or economic downturn or, or, or relational issues or, or even complete destruction. For whenever we share in the death of Jesus Christ, we experience the resurrection with Him also. And so that's the gospel. Is whenever we see demonstrated in baptism, whenever we read in the Passover the redemption of God, and we see all of this point to the full work in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have hope. We have hope enough that that we come together in vehicles in the rain and we still worship God. A coronavirus isn't enough to suppress the people of God. Government orders, destruction, danger, nothing hampers this character of resurrection in our life. Nothing. We walk away today encouraged. Encouraged because Christ, not only has He done this, has He done this for sin and everything else, but we look forward to the way in which He comes in the full redemption, comes in Him in His return. Those are the days we look forward to. And so I encourage you as we close as we look to Christ and we long for Christ, that we remember these things in their fullness. We live in obedience now with the same urgency as we take this message away from here to share with our co-workers, share with those who don't have hope, who maybe are fearful or anxious, those who are still in their sin, I ask now that you pray with me that we might look to Him and praise Him. And even still today, if you don't know this, I don't care if you wanted to come forward this morning or if we administer to you in another way in the coming days, let us join with you in this process and in this journey of new life in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank You that honestly, I I feel that I have even been personally overwhelmed in bearing a message so great 
that cannot be summarized in a 30-minute message. Father, this is an eternity in which you have been working. Father, we have an entire history of all of Israel, of their redemption, and feasts and celebrations that are celebrated year in and year out for thousands of years, culminating in the work of Jesus Christ. Father, we reflect upon the way in which you suffered in every way so that we have a Savior who's, who's not just a, a symbol. He's not just a person. But He's one who has suffered on our behalf for our sins. Has made the way for us to walk in obedience but has conquered the very last the very last enemy of death. Father, I pray that each one here would walk in newness of life. Lord, that we would live as a people who believe in the resurrection, who believe that every God and power and principle and authority has been torn down and laid at the feet of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would walk in newness of life. Lord, we ask special blessings upon Jaden that he would walk in newness of life. We haven't witnessed an event, but we have shared in a journey that is being embarked upon. So, Father, we ask your protection upon him. We ask your help in guiding him in a daily dying in his flesh so that he would experience the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. This is the message. This is the, Lord, this is the petition that we put, we have upon everyone who is gathered here this morning. Above all else, God, we ask that you glorify yourself in us. Lord, that we would be useful in your kingdom. You would grow your church and magnify ourselves in, in your ministry. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching Podcast, where we grow in discipleship, we grow in relationships, and we grow in Jesus Christ. In this sermon series, Themes in Exodus, we see how patterns of redemption in the Bible point forward to the redemption we have in Jesus Christ. And so we hope you enjoy and that you subscribe so that you don't miss a single sermon.